Good morning and happy Sabbath. We will be reading Luke 17, verses 3 through 6. So watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, Increase our faith. He replied, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Well, I'd like to come back to Luke 17 a little later in my homily this morning, which was just read on forgiving and some of the setting that Luke has for that particular passage is very interesting. But I'd really like to spend a little time talking about giving. Oh, now you're saying, uh, I think the offering appeal is past, Pastor. And that surprisingly is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the essence of the nature of who God is. This is a a very difficult sort of thing to try to get a hold of. What is the nature of God? And we have some hints as we think about that question. Hints from what is in the world that we see and hints from revelation. Of course, I want to be crystal clear, we never have a handle on who God is. God is bigger, more dangerous, safer at the same time. God is many paradoxes, I think. God is all of these things to degrees we can't possibly comprehend. So I want to be very careful not to try to create an idol for you today. But one of the hints that we have about who God is is creation itself. That there is something rather than nothing. And in that something, God is sharing space and energy and power with material creation, with that which is matter and that which is you and I. There is something about that that is informative and compelling because you see, I think if we analyze it not even that carefully, we understand that we are recipients we did not generate life life was given us we did not generate an environment or a home it was prepared for us it was given us we did not determine our intelligence level It was a gift. We did not long to commune with God. Communion with God was a given and a gift. And we rebelled and threw it away and lost it. In creation, we find the first clue as to the nature of God and it is a God who puts forth creation by word, by song, by thought, by act, by deed, by fiat, by organization of existing matter. He does all of these things. But in doing so, he gifts us with being, grounded in his own being, 
What does Acts 17 say? In him we live and move and have our being. We are grounded in the existence of God. It makes the whole question of is there a God sort of silly if you think about it that way. Our very existence is grounded in the existence of God. Our breath is his breath. Our life is generated from him and given to us. We are recipients, not agents. And as we receive the grace of life itself and an environment that can sustain it, as we receive the gift of a creative world and created world, our first clue as to the nature of who God is is that God is a being whose essence is giving. So, on the one hand, we have this being who is giving. And on the other, we're going to look at ourselves in the receivership here. The ones who are recipients of this gift and this life. And then our second clue is redemption itself. We who rebelled, we who said no, we we think God is limiting us. God is keeping us from something good. We want to be like God. We're going to taste. We're going to rebel. We're going to choose not to trust. We're going to choose not to believe. And that sort of choice became imprinted, as it were, in our DNA. The very fabric of who we are. God, the gift giver. We, the gift receivers. Now rebellious now turned against the one who gives. And when you turn against the life that is given you, you have nothing to look forward to but death. And that's why we as Christians say, but thanks be to God for the gift of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But anyone who believes might not perish, but might find life again. And there it is. Recipients of life in the first place, now recipients of a grace in the person of Jesus. Sent from a place of unimaginable glory to a fallen world to live shortly, to suffer trials and difficulties that all of us are familiar with and some that we are not, to be humiliated in the worst possible way. And though a good man, a righteous man, one without sin, to be treated as the most vile of criminals and to be crucified. Love isn't the only operating word here underlying this love is a capacity and a desire and an essence of giving that speaks of love and many of the other qualities that come to us as we think about Advent. In the gift of Jesus Christ is a re-gifting of life, the life that was given us in the first place. And this re-gifting is something we get to choose to live out and accept or not. So the first thing I want us to think about today 
is the generosity of God. The one who gives life and the one who redeems it. The one who re-gifts us with, with life and life eternal. This is the essence of who this social being is. God is one who shares. God is one who gives. And I made a statement earlier about this God sharing space and sharing power and sharing energy with matter and life. And that is what he's done. Because even in our place of helplessness, he didn't hit a reset switch that made us automatons. He didn't change the rules of engagement or the game. He said, you still have a choice. And the choice I give you, I will not override. It is a self-limiting power that God has in this. And that is part of a truly giving nature. As we think about what it means to be God's people, Christians in this new year, one of the first things we need to consider emulating is being, pursuing a nature of giving in the way that God is giving. And that's something only God can help us be a part of. That's something only God can do in us. That's a wonderful challenge, a wonderful thing. To be those who offer and extend the grace and the gift of life to others. Now, in the context of where we've been these last four weeks, as we've anticipated Christmas in the Advent season, as we've displayed colors like purple to signify the royal king who is coming and has come, as we light candles to show the light that has come into the world, as we decorate with the festive things that we've become accustomed to that signal a season of warmth and sharing, family and giving and generosity, we begin to get a hint from these props. But the Advent season has been characterized by four different words. And each of these words speaks to us as a relationship to the nature of God who is giving. The first one of these words, at least the first one that I'm going to use today, you do see different orders as people uh, do these, is hope. Now, one of the texts I used a couple weeks ago is found in Proverbs. You're welcome to join me in looking at these. Proverbs 13.2. Oh, excuse me. Psalms 13.2. the joys of trying to read my own writing. You ever do that? You write a note for yourself and you can't read it? Well, it turns out it's not this one either. <laughs> so we're going to skip that one for now. Oh, I tell you, it'll be good to be on vacation. It's been a long, long and happy season. 
What it says is hope unfulfilled, it basically says it just depresses the heart. We just don't, without hope, we don't have anything to hold on to. You think about this for just a split moment and you know it's true. Lost a job, all you have is hope. Hope that another one will come. Right? Struggling financially, you just hope for a better day when your ship will come in or whatever metaphor you use. When someone is sick, you're hoping that they're going to get well. When someone is, you know, I don't care what situation, when it seems that we have no options out, hope is what, what seems to drive that. And what I intended to read illustrated that in Scripture. Twelve, that's what's missing. Eric, you're a true friend. See, if I had a computer up here, maybe I could be uh, clicking that in, but I don't need it with uh, Eric out there. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. There we go. A longing fulfilled is a tree of life. That's a helpful phrase given what we've just talked about in the giving nature of God. The one who places the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil and these various things in our stories. These places of decision and of eternity. And it says that if we don't hang on to hope, if we don't have it, if we put it off, if we don't live it, it makes our hearts sick. And I think that's what the prophets speak of. When we get to this first Sabbath of Advent and we talk about hope, we're talking about the hope of a Messiah, a hope of a Savior, a hope of one who is coming, of the line of David, a hope of what will be, a hope of a new order of things, a hope of a messianic age of greatness and goodness and peace. These are words that will come up too. It's a hope that looks forward and plants its feet on the promise of God. It's a hope that carries with it or bears with it a degree of faith as it's lived out, looking for the promises to be fulfilled. That is the first part of what this season has been around, grounded in the giving nature of God who by speaking hope to these prophets has gifted us with something and who by fulfilling hope in Christ has gifted us with everything. Second word is peace. It's a multifaceted word. As you learn, if you ever do travel to the Middle East and if you ever look at Hebrew, Every word has at least two or three meanings. And the greeting that says goodbye and hello, and the name for so many things that we read of in Scripture, has its roots in shalom or peace. Luke 2.14 is one that we often refer to with the angels and the shepherds. There's this gloria in excelsis Deo. We sing those words. It means glory to God in the highest. 
And it's found in 2.14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. This isn't a superficial kind of peace. This isn't just a peace in the external environment. That was a peace that was looked for too. But this is a peace that transcends. This is a peace that we would say in scripture passes understanding or surpasses understanding. This is a peace that transcends the externals of an environment and penetrates deep into our lives, our hearts, and our souls. It's a peace that we don't come to on our own. It's a peace that is given. It's a peace that is granted. It's a peace that comes from the very giving nature of who God is. My peace I give to you, Jesus says. So we have in the middle of shepherds and wise men in this wonderful story a thanksgiving sung to God. Glory to God in, on, on the, in the highest and on earth peace. I don't think there's been but a few days of somewhat peace in the Middle East since Ishmael and Isaac parted ways. So that can't be what's been fulfilled. The peace that's being referred to here runs deeper and wider. It's a stream that we drink from that flows from God himself. It's a grace that is ours. It's a recognition that in spite of our weakness, and our fatal flaws, our sins. His will is that we live. His will is that we accept Him and love Him and most of all trust Him. That thing that caused us to break many thousands of years ago with Him and enter a, a darkness is broken by a light that has come into the world. A babe wrapped in swaddling clothes laying in a manger. This peace is related to the, the favor of God. This isn't something, this is, how do I explain this? This isn't something that saves us from the day to day from the trials and traumas of life on this planet. It will not keep us safe under all circumstances. It will not protect us from all evil. It will not guarantee us life to ripe old ages or keep us free from disease. And so you say, well, what's it worth? <laughs> Plenty. Because it's the peace that transcends all of those things. It's a peace that lets our hearts be still, resting in God, and trusting in God, and knowing God, even when the worst of things have touched our lives. The hardest of battles and the greatest of scars have been left. When hatred is boiled up inside of us at moments. Longing for revenge. 
dark thoughts toward others. Peace is ours as part of the giving grace of Christ. The next word was joy. And I used Hebrews 12.2 in this sermon and I'll refer, in, in the sermon on joy and I'll refer to it again today simply because it's such a helpful passage. And so profound. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. You'll recall if you were here that I said, what joy is there in enduring the cross? And what is the joy that's set before him? And the joy that's set before him is the prospect of redemption, the hope of you and I. The joy set before him is that each of us will choose this day to be his and to put him at the center of our lives. Joy comes from within. And as we learn, as we mature, joy at Christmas doesn't necessarily come from getting. Right? You know, when you were six... There was no giving. Your mom might have bought something for your dad in your name, but you didn't earn money. You didn't generate anything. You, you might have done a little project at school that the teacher helped you through that you could put under the tree. Christmas was about getting. Of course, some people have never outgrown that, sadly enough. But at some point, it starts to shift. You start to take joy in what you get to give as well as what you give get. And at some point, it shifts even further because when you as a parent or an aunt or an uncle or a friend look at the surprise and joy on someone else's face or you see them tearing paper off that package and you're taking pictures and you look back through the years and remember these as such happy times with these little ones. You know the joy of giving. And the older we get and the more we've accumulated, the less we need and the less we want in some ways. And giving again takes an entirely different perspective. Joy takes an entirely different perspective. And what we see is that it was God's joy to gift us with Christ. And it was Christ's joy to receive us, even though it cost him his life on the cross. That is the joy set before you and I. And it is a joy that transcends everything else as well. It's a joy that isn't moved by the circumstances of life. It's a joy that is abiding. It's inset. It's deep. It's rooted in the rivers of God's grace and his giving love. Which brings us to the last Sabbath of Advent that I talked about, and that was love. And we're going to look briefly at Ephesians. 
Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. What a passage. What a passage. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in his transgressions. That's the essence of Paul's theology on Christology or salvation. The doctrine of salvation he says we have died with christ and in dying with christ we are raised with christ and as christ was raised we have life in us as well and that is the gift of salvation wow wow love it's uh, been said by paul and probably by philosophers through the years it's possible that someone might give up their life for a good man or a great person. They might. A lot of us uh, feel anyway that we love our children enough to give up our lives for them. It's deeper than that. Christ willingly gave himself for a love that runs deeper than we can understand. Because it comes from an essence of giving, a nature of giving. We're recipients of hope. We're recipients of peace. We're recipients of joy. We're recipients of love. And the goal is that we become emulators of God. We become like him, sharing these things with the world around us. Well, I promised to get back to the setting of today's text, which was Luke 17. And I want to conclude there, even if it means going over just a few minutes. Because the final thing we have to talk about today doesn't look backward to the advent that has been, but forward to the year to come. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times he comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. Now this is an interesting little section, if you will, in the text. The notion is related to the 70 times seven that we read of elsewhere. It's the idea that, well, the number seven symbolizes completion or perfection. And so it's the idea that forgiveness is not something that's limited, if we can capture that. It's unlimited. And so whereas Jewish law, I think, put a limit of three times on a particular thing, Jesus is saying if something happened seven times in a day and your brother comes back to you those seven times, forgive him. Let it go. So as we're recipients of all of these blessings from God, hopefully with open hand, that we might have hope, peace, joy, and love as we're recipients of these things. The last thing looking forward is forgiveness. Now, you have read many passages on forgiveness. Jesus said, if you, if you can't forgive your brother, God in heaven won't forgive you. 
uh, we've, we've read passages in Matthew 18 about the promise or the, the, the uh, process rather of going to your brother if there's been a, uh, a difference between you and trying to resolve it. And if you can't resolve it one-on-one, then take another. And if you can't resolve it, then, then bring the elders. And if you can't resolve it, then involve the church, not the courts. And if you can't resolve it, then, then the brother who has offended, the one who is deemed to be in the wrong, is to be ostracized what Matthew 18 basically says. But the idea being that there be a way for community to continue, for forgiveness to occur, for people to let go. Now, I'm going to keep this brief because it's just really important. Do some research if you want to, but you will find that psychologically speaking, forgiveness is the most profound and helpful concept in all of Christianity. There is nothing that will contribute to your well-being or your happiness or your future in the kingdom of God more than the capacity to forgive. And the simple truth is that while humans in general have been gifted to be in the image of God and a degree of forgiveness is always, I think, planted within us, it does not begin to take into account the depths of what can be. We can be hurt in ways that we cannot let go of, of our own self. We can, be, uh, we can see our friends or family damaged by others in ways that we don't ever want to let go of. We want to hurt them back. And that is the humanness. That is the nature within. That is who we are as people in a fallen state. So even this final thing, forgiving comes from the generosity and giving nature of God. And it is his gift to us as we've been forgiven in Jesus Christ to find the capacity to let go and forgive others. So Jesus has this little passage set. And notice what the response is to this. The apostles said, Lord, increase our faith. (laughs) It seems unrelated It's just, in fact, Matthew and Mark make different use of this material. And Jesus answers, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Elsewhere we read that it says, if you say to this what? Mountain, throw yourself in the sea, it will go. A rooted tree is a very hard thing to upplant and throw into an ocean, by the way. And even the smallest amount of faith accomplishes this. Now, what is, why the juxtaposition of these passages? Why these seemingly unrelated things? It's because forgiveness is difficult. It's because it's difficult. Luke understands this. The disciples, all of us, say to Jesus, okay, you tell me to do this, but Lord, increase my faith. Because when somebody sins seven times to me in the same day and comes back seven times asking for the thing, I just want to smack them, quite frankly. And they deserve it, really. We all agree on this. And we will all bear witness before God that we agree on this and that this is how it really ought to... Forgive, no. Smack, yes. We, We know how it should be and how it works. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Let it go. And the disciples say, okay, I'm going to have to process this a little bit. Um, I want to accept, I want to believe, Lord, help me believe, help me accept, increase my faith. 
Jesus says, doesn't take much. You believe in me just a little tiny, little teeny bit, great things can happen. And even that faith will be a gift. So as recipients, as people who receive, as we go into the new year, let us go with the capacity to emulate God in giving and forgiving and letting go that life may really course through our beings and that whatever happens to us in this life we may be assured that we are his in the life to come may God bless you in the coming year great father who is giving and forgiving we thank you for your son and in this year to come may we be more and more like you filled with hope and peace and joy and love. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.